Good morning. I want to welcome all of you to our study of the book of Daniel. And uh, sad to say that the recording that we made yesterday of the class live did not survive. Uh, actually, the app that I was using is no longer supported. I didn't know that. Nevertheless, uh, we're using a new uh, type of recorder and uh, putting this together. So all of you that can't make the class live on Wednesday mornings, uh, we're delighted that you're able to join us uh, by podcast or, or internet uh, streaming. And uh, just a couple notes. Uh, first of all, uh, the class began January 8th. That was our first class, Daniel chapter 1. And uh, we will go all the way through April 22. That is our plan. Uh, there are a couple weeks where we aren't going to have a class, uh, February 19th, February 26th, and also March 11th. Uh, there will be no class during those days, but the people that are part of the class have decided they want to meet for prayer during those days, so you're welcome to join them if you're uh, going to be joining us live. And uh, also, uh, if you uh, are listening to this and you want a class schedule, uh, just uh, send me a, an email at uh, pastorjoe at riverlifecommunity.com, and uh, I'll be glad to send you a, a PDF uh, copy of that schedule. Well, let's begin today uh, just by doing a little bit of background uh, of the life and times of Daniel the prophet. Uh, this book is one of my favorite in the Bible. I don't know why. I think it's because Daniel was a young man, and when I became a uh, follower of Jesus, I was a young man too. And the book of Daniel really spoke to my life, uh, spoke to my heart. The wisdom that he had as a young man just uh, was astounding to me. But let's lay a little bit of background uh, just about what was happening in Israel and what was happening in Judah uh, before Daniel comes along. There's a lot of backstory that sets the stage for this unique uh, segment of um, Jewish history and really the history for all of us that uh, believe in the Lord Most High and follow Jesus as Messiah. Uh, Israel has been a nation. By the time Daniel comes along, Israel has been a, a nation for about 700 years. Uh, God takes Israel out of Egypt. You remember Moses leads them out of the uh, uh, nation of Egypt and they wander in the desert for 40 years. Uh, that takes us back uh, probably to 13th or 14th century, uh, back at that time. And this whole group of people come into the land of Canaan uh, after going through a faith crisis. If you remember, Moses does not get to enter the promised land because of his disobedience to God. Uh, thankfully, he comes later uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, he appears along with Elijah meeting with Jesus. So he comes in a glorified form. I'm glad Moses finally gets to enter the Promised Land. But Joshua is the leader that takes uh, Israel into the land of Canaan and begins to fulfill their destiny. If you remember uh, reading the scriptures, there were other nations that were there. And the Lord uh, tells the people of Israel, he tells Moses uh, and Abraham, uh, he said, because of their idolatry, uh, the Lord is going to replace them with the nation of Israel who will be faithful to him. And um, there was a whole season where God contended with those nations. And we need to recognize from the very beginning, God has a plan for all nations. It's not just the nation of Israel. He tells Israel, you are my chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. He tells them this when he gives them the law. And uh, he says to them, you are to be uh, my inheritance among all the nations, but all the nations are mine. So the Lord has a plan for every nation. 
We also need to understand that when a nation honors the Lord and does what God has called them to do, uh, he blesses them in the land that they inhabit. When they uh, rebel against him, when they no longer uh, serve him or uh, honor him and the, and the wisdom and knowledge they have of God, uh, the Lord will remove them from their place. And we've even seen that uh, here in the United States, uh, the European settlement that began uh, starting in the 1500s. Certainly, we were not the first people here. There were many nations that were here before us. But speaking to those uh, tribes that uh, we encountered, that the Europeans encountered when they came here, there were a group of people that inhabited the United States long before that. So we don't know that history, but apparently God... He's the one that sets nations up. He's the one that takes them down. He's the one that sets up kings. And he's also says, the Bible says, he sets the boundary, uh, boundaries for all nations. Paul says that in the book of Acts, quoting the Old Testament. So just to give you an idea, Joshua uh, is the first of really what we call the judges. Uh, He becomes uh, the leader of Israel about 1273 BC. He takes uh, the tribes into Uh, the land of Canaan, and they begin a series of uh, conflicts and taking the land and moving into the land. Uh, And it's a gradual process of taking dominion. Sometimes Israel does well, sometimes they don't. Uh, If you've read the Judges, the book of uh, Judges, you know that the Judges were a very varied group. Uh, Everybody from someone like Samson, who was a very physical uh, Rambo-type leader to uh, people that were more spiritual, like Samuel or Deborah, who was a prophetess. Uh, these leaders, these judges that God raised up, often came at a time when Israel was in rebellion against God and had lost their way, and the judges call them back uh, to their primary purpose and remind them. Uh, when the people of Israel are obeying God, they're doing well. They're taking dominion of the land. When they're not Uh, obeying God, and when they fall into idolatry, uh, the Lord uh, gives them problems. They encounter uh, everything, and and the Lord tells them, if you go back and look at the law, the whole uh, section on blessing and cursing, he says, if you obey me, then these things will happen. If you disobey me, then these curses will come upon you. God is an if and then God, and um, we uh, see that in the scripture that's often quoted in when we have prayer gatherings. If my people, <clears throat> which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Well, there's a lot of ifs there. If my people humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. So the Lord says, if you follow in my ways, I will bless you in the land. And if you look throughout the uh, prophets and through the history of Israel, uh, the Lord also says, if you disobey me and you turn to idolatry and bloodshed, sexual immorality, and uh, if you defile the land uh, in in any way, break broken covenants, then uh, you will have judgment that comes against you. And uh, the Lord says, if in that time you turn from your wicked ways and turn back to me, uh, I will relent and I will heal your land. But the Lord also warns the prophets uh, throughout time. He draws some lines in the sand and he says to them, if you do not change your ways, uh, I will remove you from the land. And this is the season that Daniel uh, finds himself in. God is contended with Israel. 
uh, for many generations and a little bit more history of Israel. After the, the uh, judges, Samuel is approached by the people and uh, they say, we want a king like the other nations. Samuel warns them. He said, if you have a king, he's going to uh, raise taxes. He will take your uh, sons and daughters for military service and service in his household. Uh, he'll want um, you to support his lifestyle. So Samuel gives a real um, warning to them, and uh, it's debatable whether or not it was God's will and God allowed them, or really God had stirred the people up. But uh, the first king, Saul, is appointed about 879 BC. Uh, he becomes the first king of Israel. We know that uh, he was a mixed king in, in a way, and uh, you can look at the lives of the kings this way. Uh, many of them started well, uh, but they didn't finish well. So if you divide their lives into three segments, uh, many started well, some did well in the middle, and some finished well, but not too many of them did well in all three seasons of their life. Saul starts well, but he doesn't finish well. He finishes seeking the witch of Endor uh, for wisdom rather than the prophets of God, and uh, he uh, is in rebellion against God. David becomes the second king. We know that David uh, started well. He had crisis in the middle. Um, he did some terrible things and a broad judgment on his family and on Israel, but David finishes well. There are two other kings uh, that come before the split, uh, and Solomon is the third king of Israel. Uh, we know that under Solomon's reign, Israel had the largest uh, territory of land, uh, much of what is now Syria, all the way past Damascus, Tyre, up past Lebanon, and uh, all the way down to Egypt, and uh, all the way east into it, what is now Iraq. Uh, Israel was the largest landmass at that particular time under Saul, and probably had the greatest season of prosperity. When Solomon, and by the way, Solomon did not finish well. His many wives and consorts led him astray. The last king before the split, Rehoboam, was the king that uh, actually fomented uh, the division of Israel into a northern and southern kingdom. And uh, this came uh, at uh, 722 BC. And uh, these uh, dates, by the way, are from Kabad, uh, their .com, their site that uh, gives a timeline of the history of Israel. And some of these dates are debatable, but I think theirs is pretty reliable. Uh, but this is uh, when um, <clears throat> Jeroboam splits the tribes, and uh, the ten tribes form the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, probably the most infamous kings of that northern kingdom would be uh, Ahab and Jezebel. They ruled from their uh, capital city of Samaria in the north. Samaria replaced Jerusalem, and uh, it was only a matter of time. Jeroboam tried to keep some semblance of worshiping Yahweh and uh, the, the commandments of Yahweh, but because the people were cut off from Jerusalem, he did not want them going down to Jerusalem. Uh, he uh, reestablished a, his own version of worship, and this began to uh, divide the people. And the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, moved into idolatry faster than the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Israel has some brilliant moments, some good kings, but by and large, most of their kings were very evil and there was a rebellion. And the Lord sends prophets to warn them. And uh, we know that about 722 BC, the kingdom of Israel was uh, conquered by um, Assyria 
uh, and uh, it was a terrible invasion of um, by the Assyrian army, who at that point was the, the most cruel uh, force on the face of the earth. Uh, they're the first ones that we know that used crucifixion as a punishment. Um, they actually crucified people and nailed them to the gates of the cities that they were attacking. They were a brutal uh, people. Uh, we know that the Assyrians came uh, with Sennacherib, uh, their king, their leader, came all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. So he was able to conquer the northern kingdoms, but he was not able to conquer the southern kingdoms. And God uh, rises up against uh, what is happening there. I believe that's King Hezekiah. And uh, Jerusalem is delivered. The southern kingdom survives for another about 120 years till the time of Daniel. So the, the kingdoms are divided at this point. So Daniel really is part of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, there are the tribe of Dan, the tribe of, uh, excuse me, the tribe of um, Judah, and um, uh, the other tribe I can't think of right now. Sorry, my head's not working here. But they were the, uh, the two um, tribes primarily that made up the southern uh, tribe of Judah. And of course, there were other people that were um, mixed in. Uh, there's a map that I passed out also, and you can find these maps, and I can send this to you as well. Uh, but the map um, is, uh, gives you an idea of the, what the world looked like about the time of Daniel. And uh, you see Egypt is still a force in the south. Uh, Judah is in the middle of all these forces. The Babylonian Empire is, and this is the Neo-Babylonian Empire. I'll explain that in a moment. But uh, they are beginning to form around what is left of uh, Assyria. Assyria is in crisis, and now there's a new Babylonian Empire that's being put together by King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar um, is, uh, ultimately, it's not a very long-lived kingdom, uh, but we find some interesting things about um, that period. Uh, Daniel serves during the administrations of several uh, world leaders. Um, Darius, who is the uh, ruler of the Medes, uh, he conquers Babylon, and then he is subsequently conquered by uh, Cyrus Gurush, uh, who comes in as the Persian leader, and he conquers Elam. Medea, uh, Babylon, Judah, and uh, takes that whole area. But Nebuchadnezzar is the one that begins this consolidation of empires. And um, he essentially uh, not only conquers Judah, but he destroys uh, the king of Egypt as well. And Egypt becomes a vassal state to Babylon, uh, which is an interesting turn of events. Egypt never becomes uh, a world empire again from that point. It's not only the end of Judah, uh, but uh, when Nebuchadnezzar invades, but it's also uh, the end of um, Egypt as a uh, powerhouse of the south. There are several prophets that are operating during this time of Judah being taken into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah is probably the first and most well-known. Uh, Ezekiel is one of the prophets that go uh, with the captives to Babylon. So while Jeremiah is finishing his prophetic career, Ezekiel is in uh, Babylon prophesying and sending letters back to the people that are left uh, in Jerusalem. Haggai comes a little bit later, and of course Daniel is a young man uh, during this time, and Daniel sees the 
end of Jeremiah's uh, prophetic reign. He hears Jeremiah's words and uh, Daniel uh, chapter 9 uh, talks about 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy of return. Jeremiah mentions this, I believe, in uh, Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, and we'll read that in a moment. But um, there's a warning to the people and uh, in Jeremiah 24, and uh, Daniel hears that, and it's uh, 70 years later. So as a young man, he hears this. Uh, when he's well into his 80s, he is praying and interceding and said, Lord, you spoke this promise through Jeremiah, and uh, we ask that you would heal our land and restore Israel to, uh, the, uh, to, to its proper boundaries. So let me uh, turn with me, if you've got your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 24. And in Jeremiah 24, um, we have uh, some real background of what's happening in this, in this captivity, of what, of what uh, is, being, is happening here. Look at um, verse 1. It says, After Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the craftsmen and artisans of Judah, were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, What do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. I don't know about you, but this uh, happens to mess with my theology. Because here, what you hear the Lord saying is, I'm the one that sent Nebuchadnezzar to your land. I'm the one that sent Nebuchadnezzar to be the instrument that punishes Israel. And I am the one that's in control of you going into captivity. I approve of that. I have a plan in that. And even in the midst of this terrible adversity, and these people are prisoners of war. They're just yanked out of their city. Their city has been sacked. And there are several different incursions from Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the, the best that we can see from the history of uh, Persia and ancient writers, it was about 607 BC when Nebuchadnezzar left uh, Babylon. He comes through Judah on the way to Egypt. He defeats uh, Pharaoh Necho at Carchemish. And uh, there it, uh, Egypt is humble. On the way back, he stops in Jerusalem because the king of Israel uh, king of Judah had cooperated uh, with uh, the kings of um, Egypt, and they looked to them for support. Nebuchadnezzar takes the, some of the best leaders, and we're going to read that in a moment. He takes some of the best of the land. He also begins to sack the temple treasurer. He takes some of the uh, things that are used in the temple worship back with him and to the house of his God. So that's about 607, 605 B.C. is when that happens. Uh, it's not until a little bit later, King Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah, uh, in I think it's 597 BC, 
uh, he is the one uh, that sees the total sack and the total destruction where the temple is destroyed and the stones are pulled down and uh, the city is destroyed, the gates are destroyed. Uh, so there are a couple different invasions. It's interesting, God uh, gives the people of Israel, well, let, before I say that, I'll, let me just look at this good group here. So God gives a promise to the people that obey him and go into captivity. And he says to them, I see you as good figs. You're going to do well in the land. You're going to uh, prosper there, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. Uh, but then in verse 8, he talks about the poor figs. Who are the poor figs? The poor figs are the people that disobey God, and instead of going in the captivity along with um, Daniel and all of these other people, they go down to Egypt and try to fight against God's plan. So it says in verse 8, But like the poor figs, which are so bad, they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so will I deal with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in the land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing. Wherever I banish them, I will send the sword, famine, plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to their forefathers. So an amazing prophecy here. In chapter 25, he talks about the 70 years. Let me read on. It says, The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and all those living in Jerusalem, For twenty-three years from the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. So Jeremiah has been prophesying for 23 years. And now he's saying, you haven't listened to me. You haven't heeded. And there was a revival in the time of King Josiah. The law was rediscovered. The, the feasts were celebrated. But the Lord says to Josiah, you, you will be saved in your uh, generation because you have turned to me. But because the people are not wholehearted, uh, that judgment will come at the appointed time. So verse 4, it says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, Turn now each from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods and serve and worship them. There's the Lord warning them about idolatry. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made, and I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. You have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants against all the surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy and make them an object of horror. And it goes on and on. In verse 12, it says, But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord. And I will make it desolate forever, and I will bring upon that land all the things I have spoken. So even Babylon is subject uh, to judgment because they don't fully obey the Lord and his purpose as well. Here's what messes with my theology, and I don't know if this bothers you. But here is God calling Nebuchadnezzar, who's one of the most wicked people in the Bible, 
uh, Janice uh, did, my wife did a study uh, several years ago about Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's a really bad man. He did a lot of uh, evil things, uh, including calling everybody to worship him. <clears throat> we'll see that as we go through uh, the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Excuse me. But God is calling Nebuchadnezzar his servant here. So the fact that God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant is something that speaks to me. We often think very narrowly about how God works with nations and with leaders. We need to understand that God has a plan for every nation, not just the nation of Israel. God has a plan for all world leaders. I believe God can speak to world leaders. The most amazing thing is God has been revealing himself to the nation of Israel for almost 700 years. And now all of a sudden we see God revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar, to Darius, the king of the Medes, to Cyrus, uh, the king of the Persians. And we get this idea that God is setting something up. I believe that this whole season of uh, captivity and the intertestamental period between the uh, Jewish scriptures and what we call the New Testament. Uh, when, when I look at that, I realize that this whole thing is a setup to prepare the nations for Messiah. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. And Daniel and the people that want, go into captivity play a key role, we're going to see, in revealing God to the nations. But Nebuchadnezzar is the least likely servant, in my mind, to serve the purposes of God. We also need to get over the fact that God, we think God can't use people that are flawed. God can use President Obama. God can use President Trump. God can use President Bush. Whether you like those presidents or not, the Lord can reveal himself to them. He can speak to them, just like he can speak to world leaders. And I believe that God is contending even to this day with world leaders. If you look at the calling of Saul, who becomes Paul the Apostle, and you go back to when Ananias laid his hands on him. We discover that Paul has a threefold calling. He's called to the people of Israel. He's also called to the Gentiles to preach Christ to them, but he's also called to be a witness to the Gentile kings. And that's something that's often missed, something that we don't understand. God has a, a plan to contend uh, with all the nations. And I, I don't think it's a mistake that according to uh, missiologists and experts today, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Uh, there is a move of God. God has loved those people from the beginning of time. As Americans, we may see them as potential enemies. In the eyes of God, they are beloved, and God wants to do something amazing uh, with the people of Iran, just like he wants to do something in every land, from India to South America, North America, China, etc., so you get the picture here that God's plan and his ability to work through people is a lot bigger. But when we see the dynamic of how Daniel works with these leaders, I think it can speak a lot to us about how we need to live uh, in the world that uh, we live in today. By the way, I'll just mention there are a couple apocryphal books that re re relate to Daniel. Uh, Bell and the Dragon is uh, in some of the uh, churches, uh, they have different canons of scripture, the Ethiopian church and uh, the Catholic church has part of the Apocrypha, Susanna and the elders 
uh, is another story of Daniel's wisdom uh, delivering a uh, woman who is uh, the wife of a prominent Jewish leader uh, from being accused of adultery, and uh, Daniel's wisdom is recognized as being amazing. But anyway, uh, just a uh, just a forerunner of what we're going to be talking about in this book. So let's let the, the word speak for itself. Uh, let me read one other set-up scripture here, and this is a scripture that we often quote, people quote with regard to the plans that we have uh, for our life. I know the plans that I have for you. Uh, this is out of Jeremiah 29. It says, this is a text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to all the priests, to the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother and the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, uh, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Um, they are prophesying lies in my name. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, and I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity and gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And uh, that gives us a little bit more context. I believe that this is something that Daniel would have had access to and have known Especially, uh, we find out, uh, turn to Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read that in a moment. But Daniel uh, 1 uh, tells us that Daniel is uh, part, either part of the royal family or one of the nobles. So he probably had access to this prophecy that was sent by Jeremiah. And uh, apparently this took root in Daniel's heart. Uh, he believed that God had a plan for him. So what we did in the class, and if you want to do this, you can stop the um, podcast right now and uh, you can uh, just put it on hold, is we passed out a uh, chapter one of the book of Daniel, and I had everybody take 15 minutes and circle as many things about uh, clues about who Daniel was, his identity, and uh, then we kind of reported out, and I, w I wish we had that part of the recording because there was a lot of uh, give and take, but uh, I recorded on the whiteboard uh, what people said, so let me give you a list of what they came up with. Uh, these are some of the things you learn in Daniel chapter one. He was a handsome man. He was a young man. Being a young man probably means that 
Uh, he was between the age of 13 and uh, age 30 when a person entered uh, uh, really kind of public service. That was the tradition in Israel. But more, than, more likely than not, Daniel was about 20 years old uh, at this time, which would have made him uh, at the time when Cyrus uh, becomes the uh, uh, conqueror of Babylon, would have made Daniel about 85 years old. Uh, Daniel was intelligent. We know that he was from the royal family, that he was a uh, noble, uh, one of the noble families. He was a visionary. God had given him a gift, uh, an ability to interpret dreams. Um, it says that Daniel and uh, the three other Jewish comrades with him were 10 times smarter than all the other wise men of Babylon. Daniel is a diplomat. He's quick to learn. Uh, he didn't follow the crowd. He's an individual thinker. And one of the things we talked about is that it says that there were a number of people that were taken from Judah uh, into captivity and were put in this program. But the only four we have a record of uh, are Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, it's interesting. We don't know if there were a lot of others that compromised or just became part of the crowd. But Daniel and these three others take a stand for the Lord and they stand out uh, for all of history. They feared the Lord. They were faithful to God. They found favor with the Lord. Uh, they were people that were, Daniel was wise. It says that Daniel honored authority. And this is one of the most amazing things about Daniel. Uh, Daniel's wisdom in dealing with authority is so amazing here. Uh, he could have gone head to head with uh, the people uh, that were over him. And we know that uh, there's a... Um, the uh, Ash, Ashpenaz, who's the chief of the court official, is to take care of these young men that are in training to serve Babylon. And uh, instead of Daniel fighting directly uh, against him, Daniel gives him an opportunity. Uh, it's kind of a win-win scenario, to use that terminology from the 90s book, this idea that um, he can, uh, Daniel can stand for the Lord, but at the same time, he allows Ashpenaz uh, the opportunity to save face. He honors uh, him and his leadership. We also need to remember that these guys were prisoners of war. We don't know if Daniel was made a eunuch. Uh, chances are he was. He, there's no record of him marrying uh, like Joseph did when he was in the court of Pharaoh. Uh, here it seems like he is a single man his entire life, and he's dedicated to uh, public service. But let's break this down. Let's uh, go verse by verse here. Daniel 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of, of King of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So the first invasion of Jerusalem is in 605 B.C., this is the same uh, campaign where uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes against Pharaoh Necho of Egypt and uh, the Battle of Carchemish that shifts uh, everything in the favor of Babylon. The transfer of uh, temple treasure is a key concept here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes some of the holy implements from uh, the temple in Jerusalem and takes them to the temple of his god, Bel, and this is uh, where... Uh, we find out later, a few chapters later, we're going to see the 
the son or the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, we're not sure which he is, but he actually takes those temple things and uses them in a feast he's having, and they mock God. They worship the gods of gold and silver and prosperity, etc. And uh, that's when there's the handwriting on the wall and God's judgment uh, comes against them. So even though the people of Israel are in uh, being uh, disciplined, uh, God's presence is still manifesting in a very powerful way uh, in the midst of Babylon. In verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And these, uh, he says these young men were to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was similar to what the earlier Assyrian uh, kings had done. When they conquered a land, they would relocate people. They would move whole populations to another part of their empire, and then they would bring people from another part of the empire onto the land. If you ever wondered where the Samaritans came from and the stories uh, in the Gospels, that's where they came from. These were people that were moved uh, to Israel uh, to tend the land, uh, but they were not Jewish. They were not uh, people of Israel. So they try to follow in the ways of God, but when the people of Israel are restored to the land, they're never accepted as uh, authentic worshipers of uh, Yahweh. Uh, also, one of the strategies of Nebuchadnezzar, it was, it was to take the top leaders, the young leaders from each of these places that he conquered, and to train them in his own language, in his own history. Uh, as we know, when, when somebody conquers your land, they have their own version of history. There's the winner's history and the loser's history. So Nebuchadnezzar re-instructs them in his own history. The amazing thing about Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to use their Jewish names, uh, the amazing thing about them, even though they are re-educated, they never give up their faith in God. They never turn against the Lord. They are true uh, to the Lord, even though they're given new names. So the king assigns them a daily amount of food, verses 5 through 7, and uh, they're to be trained for three years. So this food and wine from the king's table is food and wine that's been sacrificed to the gods of Babylon. Uh, this was unacceptable to uh, somebody that was Jewish. They could not eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. So this is a crisis moment for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, this is an issue, uh, and they have to make a decision. Are we going to capitulate? Are we going to go with the program? We don't know how the other people that were from Judah dealt with this, but we do know how Daniel dealt with it. Uh, it says in verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So how Daniel resolves this is an amazing thing. He could have said to Ashpenaz, we're not going to eat your food. You can kill us. You can do whatever you want. But David actually negotiates he keeps his integrity, but he asks uh, Ashpenaz to give him a chance to do it God's way. So Daniel's humility in this whole situation pays the way for success. This is a strategy that I think God can teach uh, many of us in, in the workplace, uh, wherever we are, when we have conflict and we feel like our faith is being challenged. We want to uh, declare that we are Christians, that we don't want to, we're followers of Jesus, we can't uh, compromise, but at the same time, uh, there are times when the people that are over us 
don't have our same convictions. So Daniel creates a win-win strategy. And he says to this man, he said, would you give us 10 days? See how we look. Just give us vegetables and see how we look at the end of 10 days and see if we don't look better than everybody else. And this is the beginning of Daniel leading from the middle. He becomes very influential. I think because of his humility, because of his integrity, uh, he uh, is honored by the people of Babylon and ultimately by the king. Uh, When Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to find this in chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel to interpret his dream, uh, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, there's no man that can interpret your dream. He doesn't come out and say, hey, I've got the interpretation. He lets the king know right away, this interpretation is from God. The humility of Daniel is amazing, especially for a young man. Uh, I see Daniel very much like Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, uh, when uh, the angel speaks to her and she treasures things in her heart. There's a wisdom that goes way beyond uh, someone of of, um, teenage years, of early years. And uh, what a lesson for us, what a way to look. By the way, I've had people tell me that, see, Daniel was a vegetarian. This is why God blessed him. I don't think vegetarianism is the issue here. Uh, I don't think this is an endorsement of vegetarianism. Uh, I I do think that uh, the issue here is obedience because Daniel and these uh, three uh, Hebrew young men decide to honor the Lord. God lifts them up and blesses them and uh, he gives them favor. And uh, that's exactly what it says here in verse 17. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding uh, of all literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions, dreams of all kinds. At the end of time, set by the king, um, they were presented to Nebuchadnezzar. And when the king talked with them, verse 19, it says he found no one, none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So God positions these four men for amazing impact. What Israel could not do in hundreds of years of being a witness to the nations. Now the nations saw God deliver Israel again and again, but they also saw Israel compromise and they saw Israel be judged. But here you have uh, three men, these three young men uh, in their uh, Babylonian name, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they, they have to take a stand or they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. We'll get into that in a couple weeks, that story. But uh, what happens is what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, our God is, will surely deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us from the flames, we know that he is the way of truth. And we have to take a stand for what we believe. Uh, This is an amazing moment, and uh, everybody that's listening to this today, I think this is a message to this generation. We need people like these four Hebrew young men and women uh, that will take a stand and say, even though we may have to suffer because of what is coming, even though our reputations may take a hit, we know our God is going to be faithful to us, and we know that his truth is worth standing for uh, no matter what comes our way. And then... If you can imagine, 120 leaders gathered from all over the Babylonian Empire. These are people from all over the Middle East 
that have come and are serving because they've been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And in one moment, they see the revelation of the Son of God in that burning fire. They see these three young men delivered from this fire that kills the very guards that throw them in. And they see the Son of God revealed. It says, Nebuchadnezzar stood to his feet and said, I see one like the Son of Man. In one moment, they see a prefiguration. They see Jesus not yet revealed as Jesus, the Son of Man, but they see him revealed in the Spirit, in that flames, protecting these three young men. What did that do to the hearts of these leaders? What did that do in preparing them for the gospel that was to come in the next uh, 350, 400 years? Uh, Daniel becomes the leader of the Magi. Not only did Daniel learn about the things of Babylon, but he brought all of the teaching, the scrolls, of all the prophets and the law. And the law became part of uh, the literature that the Magi followed. The Magi would follow, these diviners and these um, wise men, uh, would follow the dreams of great leaders. And they had uh, some people, some of the ancient historians say they had what's called a dream book, where they would uh, follow the dreams of leaders and the interpretations. And uh, they would, uh, they came up with a kind of a predictive model for dreams. But in that, in the writings of the wise men are the writings and the prophecies of Daniel and all of the things that he brings from Israel to the people. We need to understand how, what an important witness this is and how God is setting the stage for all the nations to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Daniel serves under three administrations for 63 years. He was about 20 years old when he began. The last verse of chapter one says that he served until the time of Cyrus. Cyrus uh, builds his empire by conquering the first the Medes and then the Lydians and uh, other nations and then also conquers, conquers Babylon, the Neo-Babylonian empire. And by the way, there were three different iterations of Babylon. The first one goes back uh, to the time of Nimrod, about 32 uh, to 3000 BC. The second one is about 2300 uh, BC. And this uh, is around the time of Abraham, right before Abraham through the time of Abraham. But this third iteration of Babylon, we call Neo-Babylon, is conquered by Persia and by the Medes. And uh, Daniel serves through all three administrations. All of them get a witness of who the living God is because of Daniel and others like Daniel that stood uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lesson in this for all of us. And that is we may think the world we're in is a wicked place. We may think the people we work with are people that can't hear God, and that's not true. I believe God is at work. I believe God wants to place Daniels and Esthers. He wants to place people that are uh, like Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah in places of service where they will stand. And the lesson for us is very clear. It's not going to be easy. You may face a fiery furnace. You may face persecution. Like Daniel, you may have every leader in the empire against you wanting to kill you and feed you to the lions. But if you're faithful to God, he will be with you. He has a plan for you. So this is this is the message of Daniel chapter 1. So we will put these out each week. Daniel 2, uh, if you'll read ahead, uh, we'll begin. And this probably will be out a week from 
Uh, this is Thursday that I'm speaking, so it will be out on the 16th, Daniel chapter 2. And we'll try to post this one as soon as we can. But let me pray for you, all of you that are listening to this. Father, take the words and the witness of Daniel, this amazing book. I believe this book is a book for our time. Lord, I pray that you would, in our day, raise up Daniels, Hananiahs, Mishael, Azariahs, Esthers, people, Lord, that stood in other generations, in other places. Lord, we need people like that in the world today. Raise them up in every country, in every land, in all the spheres of influence, whether it's education or medicine, whether it's sports or entertainment, Lord, uh, media, whatever it is, Lord, raise up godly leaders that will take a stand. And Lord, let the words of this book become alive to us. Help us to take what we learned today and apply it in our lives to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.